0: Parents, if you have children with you ages 3 to 7, if you would like them to participate in there they all go, look at all of them. All right, children of the age of 3, there are nurseries next door, if you need to use those during the remainder of the service, please feel free to do so. If the rest of you take out your Bibles and turn the Old Testament to the book of Deuteronomy, the 8th chapter. <clears throat> on the road again, I just can't wait to get on the road again. The life I love is making music with my friend, and I can't wait to get on the road again. Raise your hand if you know if you know why I sang that song. Raise your hand if you know why I sang that song. Gray, Morgan, look around. These are the only people who read The Blast and who read The Blog and The Blast. All right? Because I wrote a blog for The Blast, and none of you all read it. <laughs> but I told about a wonderful gift that my children gave to me and Kathy a couple of weeks ago, early mother, Father's Day present, tickets to the Willie Nelson concert. We went. It was great, great concert. We loved it, and I've been singing on the road again ever since then. But not for no reason, for a reason, because it's time for you and me to get back on the road again, back on the road to Deuteronomy. For the last few weeks, we've taken a little off-road excursion, into other parts of Scripture to to look around there. But this week, it's time to get back on the road to Deuteronomy. And let me tell you, this is a really important road trip. This is a really important road trip that we are on. Why? Because in Deuteronomy, God's people stand on uh, the verge of receiving an incredible, amazing gift from the Lord, the Promised Land a land more lush, a land more abundant than anything they had ever experienced before, and it was to be theirs. And God desires that in this land of abundance that his people experience the rich blessing of being in a relationship with him. He desires that in that land of abundance that his people be a rich blessing of transformation, To the nations and the people around them. The book of Deuteronomy prepares God's people for both. It prepares them to live in the richness of the relationship, the covenant relationship with them, and it prepares them to be a blessing to the nations around them. Well, God has blessed us here at Redeemer abundantly. He has brought us into this land, into this place, where He wants us to be. And He wants us to enjoy right now at this time in this place the richness of a relationship that we have with him in Christ. He wants us to experience the, the blessing and the richness of the relationships that we can have with one another because of Christ. Will so beautifully preached on that for the last two weeks. Additionally, God desires that we together be a rich blessing to the culture in which he has placed us, to the nations around us. And the richest part of this blessing is the hope that the gospel brings, the hope of transformation. And that's why we get on the road again. Because we, with great humility, and we with great faith in the power and the work of the Holy Spirit of God, we have great expectation for great transformation in our own hearts and in our own lives. And we have great expectation for great transformation in the culture around us because we come together to the word of the Lord to be taught by him and to be changed by him so we can be a blessing to each other and to the world around us. So toward that end, we get back on the road again. Deuteronomy chapter eight. I'm gonna ask you to stand as we hear read together the word of the living God. Beginning in verse 1, this is the word of the Lord. Moses is speaking. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you. Causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known. To teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out. Your feet did not swell during these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God walking in his ways and revering him for the lord your god is bringing you into a good land a land with streams and pools of water with springs flowing in the valleys and hills a land with wheat and barley vines and fig trees pomegranates olive oil and honey a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing a land where the rocks and iron a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig out of the hills Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we pray now that you would bless this reading and hearing of your word. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be the teacher this morning. And for that change and transformation for which we long, we pray that that would be the reality that we experience this morning. Through your word and through the power of your spirit, for we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. Change and transformation comes to our hearts and then through us to the culture and the people around us when you and I are people of obedience, when we live lives of obedience before the Lord. Look with me, if you will, in verse 1. Moses says there, Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today. Transformation will come to us Transformation will come to the culture around us only as you and I live lives of obedience before the Lord. It's that simple. And obedience is just that important. That's why Moses says here, he doesn't say follow some of the commands. Moses doesn't say here, follow most of the commands. Moses doesn't say follow the commands you really like or the ones that are really easy to keep. But instead, what does Moses say? Follow. Keep, guard, preserve every command. As I mentioned earlier, the main fundraiser for our Uganda trip Friday night was the silent auction. and Lots of people donated items to be auctioned uh, at that silent auction. And every item had a piece of paper. And on that piece of paper, there was a detailed description of what that item was. And so people were free to mill around, to pick up the pieces of paper, to read the description of the item. If it was an item that they were interested in, if it was an item that they wanted, they placed their name on it, and beside their name, they put the amount of their bid. Now, some of those items were really appealing, and the list of names was so long, we did not provide enough spaces for them. Other items had just a name or two on them. Some items had no names at all, either because people weren't interested in that particular item or perhaps the minimum bid was more than they were willing to pay and so they put down that item and moved on to the next. That's kind of the way we are sometimes with our obedience. We see the commands of the Lord, we look at them, we read at them. If we're interested in them, well, yeah, I can see how that would benefit my life. We sign up for it. Some of them not so easy. Well, sometimes we'll obey those. But then there are others that are too difficult, and we just lay those down and move on to the next one. But that's not how it's supposed to work. That's not how it's supposed to be. This is how it works. God speaks. We listen. We listen. We listen. Shh. He said as he kept preaching. (laughs) But, But nevertheless. God speaks, we listen. Richard Lenz is a professor of theology at Gordon-Conwell Seminary. And he says that one of the great dangers that we face in doing theology is our desire to do all the talking. We most often capitulate to this temptation by placing alien conceptual boundaries, alien conceptual boundaries on what God can and has said in his word. We force the message of redemption into a cultural package that distorts its actual intentions. See, we talk instead of allowing God to talk, and that's not how it's supposed to be. God speaks, we listen to everything he says. That's how it works. And so the challenge for you and for me this morning is to first listen ourselves, to really listen as God speaks to us through his word so that we may follow. And that's truly a challenge for us because every one of us here is a product of our culture just like everyone else around us is. And there are things that we accept in our lives without thinking about them because it's just part of our culture. It's the way it is. And so we come to the word of God with our cultural focus and filter in place. And when we do that, it's so easy for us to say, well, well, God can't mean that. God's word can't be right about creation. Not anymore, not with all we know uh, from science. God's word can't be right about marriage. Not anymore. Not in 2014. So you and I must first listen for ourselves, for the transformation that God needs to make in our own lives. Then the challenge That's before us, after we have listened and been transformed by the truth of the Word of God, is to think about how God's truth speaks to our culture. Again, Professor Lenz talks about a theological vision. And he defines that as being a vision for what you are going to do, what you're going to do with God's truth in a particular time and in a particular place. How does the truth of God's Word, all of it, apply? here in Ansonboro in 2014? How does the truth of God's word, all of it, apply to people living on the east side here in Charleston? 2014. How does the truth of the word of God, all of it, apply in Shema, Uganda, in 2014? When it says a theological vision allows people, us, to see their culture in a way different than they had ever been able to see it before, Those who are empowered by the theological vision do not simply stand against mainstream impulses of the culture, but take the initiative to both understand and speak to that culture from the framework of scriptures. The modern theological vision must seek to bring the entire counsel of God into the world of its time in order that its time might be transformed. And that's what we want, isn't it, for ourselves and for our culture, transformation. And so Moses says to the people of ancient Israel, and he says to us, be careful to follow every command of the Lord. So just as the people of ancient Israel had no hope for transformation apart from the Word of God, they had no hope to be a blessing to the culture around them apart from the the Word of God, so too you and I this morning have no hope for transformation apart from listening to and living by the word of god transformation for ourselves transformation for our culture but listen if you are hearing this talk of obedience as a bad thing as typical preacher pulpit pounding you know, you're you're understanding it wrongly look again in verse 1 be careful to follow every command so that you may live. Be careful to follow every command, so that you may live. The commands of God are like spiritual currency for us. He gives them to us. He passes them out. Say ten of them, for example. Here are the commands of God. And and we take that spiritual currency, and we turn it in, we exchange it for life. The commands of God. The obedience to them is life for us. Life is found in the word of God. Look in verses two and three. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you, to test you, in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. In the desert, God taught his people this lesson. Man does not live by bread alone, but by what? Every. There could be an extreme again. Every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Life is in the word of God. And real life is found in following the word of God. See, we think that life is found in the physical, in the bread filling our stomachs, having what we need physically, having what we need materially. And as much as we can get of it, that's what life is about for so many people. But God says that life is something very different. Life does include those things, but they are not enough. The material, the physical things are not enough to have real life. Real life, if it's to be real life, must be Include the Word of God. You have some conception of your life right now. What is the conception of your life? You know, it's okay. Stinks. Could be better. Not so bad. You have an idea of what your life is like right now. And you also have a conception of what a really good life would look like for you. If your life were a whole lot better, it would look like this. What is that conception? Because whatever that conception is, whatever you think would make your life better, that's the thing that you are uh, working toward. That's the thing that you are uh, trying to to, to put in place, the the conception that you're trying to achieve, the, the prototype that you are trying to put in production. That's what you're going after right now. Well, whatever you call life, whatever you conceive or perceive it to be like, if it does not include the Word of God, it's not really living. And so you need to go back to the drawing board and come up with a new conception of what your life should be. If you think you have life right now and it doesn't include following the Word of God, then you're cheating yourself. You're cheating yourself. Because even if you think your life is is really great, What you're doing is settling for meagreness. If you are leaving out the word of God, when you could have a life of abundance. People do not live by what we think we live on. Bread alone, there must be more. And you and I have to believe that for ourselves. There has to be more. You and I have to believe that for the people around us. No matter what we think their lives look like, there has to be more. Their life is not w- marked by the word of God. If it isn't, th- th- those people are, are non-life people. They're non-life people if they don't have the word of God. And if we don't believe that, we won't speak to them. The words of hope and truth, the words of the gospel. Jesus very famously quoted this verse. As you know, in the desert where he had been fasting for 40 days. Can you imagine 40 day fast? I could never do it, not voluntarily, but but Jesus was there fasting. The Spirit of God had led Jesus into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And Satan came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus could have done that very easily. Don't forget, Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ, He was the one back in the desert. He's the one who provided manna for these people that we're reading about this morning. He had already been there and done that. How easy it would have been for him to turn just one stone into a nice loaf of warm, butter-melting bread. Can you imagine how wonderful it would have tasted to someone who had been hungry for so many days? We don't like being hungry. We like to eat. 2010... The average consumer spent $2,500 on eating out, according to the United States Department of Labor. $2,500 per individual, 2010. Visa did a survey, and they found that the uh, average person spends right at $1,000 a year just on eating lunch out. That doesn't count grabbing something at Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts or going to the snack machine. That's just eating out. We love to eat. We love to satisfy our hunger, and we love to do it conveniently. Jesus could have done the same thing. could have very conveniently satisfied that gnawing and that craving in his stomach, but Jesus knew that there was more to real life than just bread. Jesus knew that there was more to real life than just satisfying physical wants. And so he passed. He passed on the opportunity to satisfy his physical cravings and indulge in that desert snack, he passed on that for something much better, for something much richer. And that richer thing, that better thing, was this intimate relationship with God, beautifully and perfectly carrying out the will of his Father. That was full life for Jesus. And that's why he said to Satan, man does not live by bread alone. But on every word that comes from the mouth of God, there is so much more to life than satisfying my own personal cravings. On another occasion, Jesus was traveling, and he was going through Samaria, and he got tired. So he found a well, and he sat down by the well, and there was a woman there by the well, and Jesus asked her if she would dip some water up for him, because his disciples had left him there and kept going into the town to buy some food for them to eat. And you know the rest of that story. Jesus took the opportunity that that physical thirst and physical water provided to teach that woman at the well great spiritual truths about spiritual thirst and spiritual water that would quench it. He said to her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And the woman's reply was this, Sir, give me this water. And so just as Jesus was finishing this conversation with this woman, pointing her to the real life she could have in him, pointing her to how her life could be transformed, so that whatever circumstances in her life had caused her to have had five husbands and to be currently living with a man who was not her husband, whatever circumstance brought her to that place, whatever personality uh, issues brought her to that place, whatever sin, whatever motivation brought her to that place, which was not a good place, she no longer had to be controlled by them. Jesus could transform her and make her new and give her new life. And so just as Jesus was finishing this conversation with this woman, the disciples return. And they brought with them food. And so they come and the woman leaves. And the disciples take the food to Jesus. And scripture says they urged him, Jesus, eat something. Come on, eat something. You're tired, you're thirsty, you're hungry. Have something to eat. And Jesus' response was this. I have food to eat that you know nothing about. I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And so the disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? Sometimes I wonder if Jesus ever just rolled his eyes, smacked his forehead, and said, Are they ever going to get it? No, nobody else brought him food. Jesus replied, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to finish his work. See, catch it? In other words, food for Jesus, real food, was doing and obeying, doing the will of God and obeying him. And so what kind of reality does Jesus, the man, live in? He could have turned stones into bread when he was hungry. He did not. He said man does not live by uh, on, uh, on bread alone. Jesus, when he was tired and thirsty and hungry, he could have taken the food that was offered to him by the disciples, but instead he didn't. He said my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And what was the will of him who sent it? Who sent Jesus? He says in John 6, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that has been given me, but raise them up at the last day. Look, Jesus found something life-giving. Jesus found something hunger-satisfying in obeying the will of God. Jesus found something life-giving in speaking the words of life to someone else. The physical, the material, no matter how good you think it is, isn't enough for you or for anyone else because God has created us for something so much more than that. Jesus said to the disciples, you know nothing about this food. But he didn't say that to them to release them from the responsibility to excuse them from having to, to know or find out about this food. He says that to them to point out the reality that they are still living in the physical. But they weren't to stay there. They would say, well, Jesus, that spiritual food, blah, 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 that's for you because you're Jesus. That's not for us. No, not at all. This dimension that Jesus, the man, lived in, he doesn't say, you know nothing about it because you don't belong there. You can't get there. This is what he said to the disciples. He said, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. And so Jesus places the responsibility on the disciples to know and experience that spiritual food for themselves. He says that to move us from the place where we are to the place where you and I belong as well. Finding our life, finding our strength, finding our deep satisfaction in the word of God. That's where we belong. Knowing it, living by the truth of it, finding life in our relationship with Jesus. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. We may want to turn away from so graphic a description, flesh, eating, blood, drinking. We're more sophisticated, more cultured than that. But we all know that Jesus is not calling anyone to cannibalism. What Jesus is doing is calling them to intimacy with him. And this is how Jesus describes that intimacy, eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And when you and I are repulsed by that image, it's because we, like the disciples, we are fixated on the physical, as if the physical is the totality of reality. Or we pretend to be repulsed by it. Ugh. Drinking blood? Ugh. Eating flesh? Ugh. But we only pretend to be repulsed. But what we're actually doing is trying to dodge. We're trying to dodge and look away from the intimacy, with Christ, to which he is pressing us. And we want to dodge it because we want to live the way we want to live. And we want to go after what we want to go after, the physical, the material. But Jesus, the living word, the bread of life, calls us to intimacy with him. Remain in me, he says, and I in you, Christ remaining in you, you remaining in Christ. That's intimacy. How can your life not be transformed when Christ lives within you? How can your life not be transformed when you are cultivating a close, intimate relationship with Christ? My concern this morning, as it is every week, is for those who may be here who have never found life in Christ. My concern is, it's for those here this morning who have not believed the gospel. You, you've never admitted, you know what, I have a terrible problem, and my problem is sin, and there's nothing that I can do about that sin. It bothers me, it burdens me, it weighs me down, I know something is not right. But you've never turned in faith to Christ as the one who can take care of that sin problem, to give you spiritual water, give you eternal life. So my concern is for you, and I, and I hope that you will do that. I pray that you will do that if you've never done it. But my concern also this morning is for those who have believed the gospel, who say with their words that they have life in Christ, but do not live in intimacy with Christ. The word of God, the bread of life, who do not seek, you do not actively seek to follow the commands of the Lord. Those here for whom Sunday morning worship may be their sole encounter or interaction with the Lord in the course of any week. For those whose pursuits are physical and material to the extent that they have no time to develop a relationship with Christ, much less have time to go out into their workplace or their neighborhood and hear what their neighbors are saying and and know what they're thinking so that they can apply the gospel to their lives. Those to whom Jesus would say, I have food to eat, that you know nothing about. Because truly, we know nothing about it. We have never experienced it and we have never been interested enough to find out about what that food is or a desire to experience a tremendous satisfaction of it. My concern is for those who think they have to do something here for themselves, who take on the burden of the relationship with Christ. Well, what if I do this and nothing happens? are burdened because you don't know that this is the Lord's work. Our job is simply to obey. And Jesus meets us there and brings about the transformation. The same Jesus who met this woman at the well, the same Jesus who talked with her, the same Jesus who knew this woman's deepest needs before she ever told him anything about them. He knew what she needed to satisfy her deepest need and he gave it to her. And he's the same Jesus for you and for me. And we just let him, need to let Him be who He is in our lives. You can talk to Jesus through prayer. You can open yourself to His truth. You can let His Word examine your life and change your life. But you've got to meet Him. And you've got to listen to Him. And you have to make the changes in your life that He calls you to make. That's where you will find life. And when you actively engage your culture with that truth you actually get out and do something with the gospel and with the theology and with what you believe, in the life of another person, you're going to find a deep satisfaction in doing what Jesus wants you to do. And it's going to be to you like real food. The results are up to God. The transformation that comes is His work. It's not yours. But you find satisfaction more satisfying than food when you engage in this activity with the Lord, because we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. God is speaking his word. God is speaking his word. How well are you listening? Really listening? Shh, don't talk. Listen. And when you hear him speak his truth, how well are you obey? Because life, real life, satisfying life, transforming life, is found in listening for and following every command of the Lord, and, and nowhere else. And so, right now, right now, in this chapter eight of Deuteronomy, God's people are standing at the door that will lead them into the abundance of the promised land. Obedience to the Lord following the Lord will lead them through that door into the land of abundance. And once they walk through that door by following the Lord and obeying him, they can shut the door on the desert that was behind them. The desert that verse 15 describes as vast and dreadful and waterless and dangerous, they can leave that behind them. And God makes the contrast between the two very stark and very drastic so that the choice will be easy. A land of abundance, access by following the Lord, or the land of dryness and dust and death, where their disobedience had taken them. Abundance, or death, and dryness, and obedience. You and I stand in that same place every single day of our lives. We stand in that same place. And before us is the choice of obedience, obeying the word of the Lord, and and, and letting that obedience lead us into a life that is abundant, and rich, and lush. Or we can choose disobedience and we can live out in that vast and dry and dreadful desert. Abundance, spiritual life, real life, satisfying life. It awaits everyone who will follow Christ and live in obedience to Him. Change, transformation awaits us and awaits uh, the people all around us when we follow Christ and live in obedience to Him. What was dry and dusty and dead is transformed into life that is lush and real and satisfying. Which one would you choose? Let's pray together. Father, once again we give you thanks for your word. Thank you that you are a kind of God that chooses to communicate with his people. You could be distant, you could be remote, you could be silent. We could be wondering about you and who you are and how to get to you and what you're like, but that's not what you have for us. You have for us the truth of your word in which you reveal yourself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You reveal to us the path to life, real life, true life, everlasting life. You put before us In your word, the way to to abundance and blessing and deep contentment and satisfaction in our lives. And it comes through following everything that you say to us. Every truth that you put before us in your word. And so I pray, Lord, that you would cause us to long to be people of obedience. That we would follow after you, Lord. Great trust and great faith. Father... We ask that you would give us spiritual eyes to see the physical, the material is so very real to us. So many things in this world that we want, so many things in this world that we think we need. And yet, Lord, what we really need and mostly need is is a relationship with you. Living life as you call us to live it. Investing our lives in the lives of others. Teaching them the gospel, the words of truth, making disciples. But, Lord, that's only going to come as we are people of obedience. And so I pray, Lord, uh, for all of us. We, we All of us fail. We've already confessed our sin this morning. We make bad choices. We know what we should do and we don't do it. But, Lord, you can at least, through the, the, the work of your Spirit, give us the, the conviction this morning that, that we want to be different, that we want to be people of obedience, that we want to walk in your ways. And so, Lord, we know our strength comes from you. So we wait on you now for uh, the work of your spirit, for the strength that you give to us, for the renewing uh, that is ours through Christ. We wait on you uh, to do in us and through us what we cannot do for ourselves. Pray these things now and offer ourselves to you in Jesus' name, amen.